Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be reviewing this video, How Does God Know the Future? Now, a few people have sent me this video wanting me to review it, and uh, it's pretty interesting. I, I started watching it a while ago, and you know, I kind of cut off a little bit. And then it turns out I'm going to be debating one of these guys, this Dan Chapa. And so we might want to actually listen to his views to see what he uh, thinks about this topic, this uh, very important topic. How does God know the future? Do I have any expectations that they're actually going to answer the question at hand? I do not have any expectations of that. But we will listen and hear to see what they have to say. All right, Dan Champ, Dan Chapa and Turretin Fan. Turretin Fan. I don't know. Maybe that's a reference to something. I don't know. Hello. Welcome to Conversations in Calvinism. I'm Dan Chapa, and this is my friend Turretin Fan. And we're here today to discuss God's foreknowledge. And specifically in this episode, we'll uh, touch a little bit on open theism, and then we'll get into uh, some questions that I'd like to discuss. Idle killers in the house. How it is that God knows the future, and in what sense is the future knowable? Yeah, yes. And we'll, Those are good uh, questions. I guess dive into that in some passages around and related to that question. When, when I was watching uh, clips of this a little bit... Uh before when someone first sent this to me a long time ago i was like wow this reminds me a lot of uh snl and uh, they had this little skit like public radio where there's two very passive hosts and they're like today we will be talking about flowers and it's all you're like falling asleep or whatnot and so that's what it kind of reminded me of uh triggered in my mind i'm sure dan chap was a great guy he seems like a nice guy but that that is that is my initial impressions and my uh, my teaser question for this episode is, well, I, the two main questions we addressed, one was whether Will open Duffy has a lot of time, Christians or not, and so he used to which should interest open theists who might be watching this. And the other one is, how does God know the future? Does it depend, uh, in, in its final analysis, does it depend on God or something else? So I, I encourage you to listen attentively. If you have questions, reach out to us. We'd love to answer questions. Is that the real Will Duffy? I made a Thank fake you. Will um, Duffy account you to comment on my own videos. Hey, Turton fan, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? Doing real good. Uh, nice to talk to you as always. Likewise. So just recapping our last episode, we looked at Isaiah 44, especially 28, the prophecy about Cyrus. And specifically, Cyrus was um, foretold that he would essentially defeat the Babylonians and that he would um, have the Israelites return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And one of the issues that came up that we tabled for a future episode was, well, what about this whole issue of God's foreknowledge? Specifically, you know, the question of how does God foreknow what he foreknows was one question that was asked. And then another is, you know, and then... So very critically, can God name babies? Can God bring people to power and move nations? Those are those are pretty interesting questions. I would have to go with yes. Does that mean that we don't or can't have libertarian free will? So I think we'll touch on lots of different 
Yeah, so uh, Agortha writes, is that the real Will Duffy? That is the real Will Duffy. And Will Duffy is going to be my debate partner. He invited me. He's like, who can I uh, invite? And then he invited the, the person that he thought would be the best fit. And then he had to settle with me once that person uh, was busy that day. And so I'll be debating with Will Duffy on that day as his partner. Text in this discussion, but it's not specifically about one text. And it's more the general concept of God's foreknowledge and that sort of thing. So does that match your understanding? Does that sound like uh, what we're here to discuss today? <laughs> yes, we, we can discuss that today. Okay. Uh, so I will start us out here. So, um, the, you know, I think the first thing to do would be to set aside uh, some, set some parameters for this discussion. So I'm not an open theist. So in some sense, if you want to make an argument, well, Dan, you really should be. Okay, that's fine. But I'm I'm not. When I read the scriptures, especially passages like this one um, about Cyrus, or let's say the prophecies about the apostles, you know, like Judas's betrayal or uh, Peter's denial or you know, various things like that, and there's hundreds of them throughout scripture. Um, it's quite clear to me that God knows the future, and He knows it in exhaustive detail. And there's passages that talk about God's foreknowledge and um, that sort of thing, and that his understanding is infinite. And so if, in principle, um, God can know a future free action. Yeah, we, we just need to dedicate one uh, mini-sode to this question. What does it mean when it says God's understanding is infinite? And so a lot of times, if, if you're a Calvinist or, or Arminian, and do you think that God has these uh, a super specific uh, Platonistic properties you actually miss a lot of what's going on in the Bible. You think, oh, well, his his uh, omniscience, that he, that means he knows all propositions. That means he knows knows everything that can and will be. And, and so God doesn't actually need what this verse is actually talking about. In the ancient world, you had knowledge, but you had to be able to use that knowledge to some effect. And so you had to have some sort of innovation or craftiness or able to accomplish uh, it, putting things together, processing information. So the verse that he's talking about, he just doesn't understand what's going on there because it's not a category that fits in his worldview. God's craftiness, God's innovation, God processing and using information is unlimited. And so uh, he wants to conflate this with God's knowledge because it just doesn't work in his system. So he comes across this verse and he says, of course, this verse must mean God knows all propositions, past, present, and future, that all that ever will exist. That's just not what it's talking about whatsoever. God can use information, process information, and accomplish tasks. His view does not allow for this. It does not allow God's craftiness, God's innovation. And so we're going to see a lot of this where they, they don't know what's going on in the text. And so they kind of pigeonhole it into whatever view they want it to be then um, it seems that he would know all of them uh, because his understanding is infinite. So if he can know one of them, then one of them is possible to know, and therefore he knows all of them. Um, open theism, as far as I can tell, um, not only has some exegetical issues, they have some <laughs> doctrinal issues in terms of the nature of God. Um, specifically, it seems like they insert God into time um, in a pretty oh. radical sense. 
and they have got kind of changing. <sighs> the Will Duffy debate about timelessness was just 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 golden. And so the whole debate was Will Duffy's reading versus he here's God in time. The other guys like, well, God's outside of time, and if you read this verse in this way, then it could fit with my view. And Will Duffy the whole time's like, well, yeah. Well, here's the problem though: none of your verses say God's outside of time. They all say God's in time. You got no verses. You just made it up. It's not biblical. No one in the Bible taught that God's timeless. It's just not there. Um, quite a bit. And so I, I have issues there and with open theism. And then also, um, you know, so exegetical issues on prophecies, um, the theological issues in terms of the doctrine of God and um, that sort of thing. But it seems that... Um, one thing that they seem to have in common with Calvinists is they say that when God does know the future, it's because he determined it. He chose what it would be, and that's why he knows the future. And I think Calvinists say the same thing often. Uh, well, there's all sorts of different ways to know the future. So here's, here's one of the things that is going to come up in the debate is what type of knowledge are we talking about? What they want is some sort of knowledge in which God has direct access to propositional truth value of propositions that exist uh, past, present, and future, which is not necessarily what we're talking about when we're talking about knowledge. What is knowledge uh, in regards to you or I when we say, oh, I know this thing. Oh, I, I know that. I know this thing will happen. I know I'm going to go to sleep tonight. I know I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I know I'm going to go to church tomorrow. I know uh, my, my little girl's going to want candy tomorrow. I bought M&M's. She's going to want those. I know things about the future. And so how do we use the word knowledge? Generally, it's a justified true belief. And if it's a knowledge about the future, we wait till to see if it pans out. And then we say, oh, yeah, you did know the future. And you would say, oh, you're just guessing, <laughs> guessing. I there, there is a lady who's being railroaded by our church and she's posting on the God is Open Facebook page and they're like, they just did a sermon against open theism. They said that open theists just say, God is guessing at everything. Like, what are you talking about? Have you ever talked to an open theist? These people are just making up lies. I'm not guessing that my kids are going to want candy tomorrow. I'm not guessing I'm going to go to church tomorrow. This is just knowledge of the future. This is how the word's used and, and how it's conceptualized in normal conversation, the only time we we veer away from this is when we get into these uh, discussions about uh, the nature of God's knowledge. Then we have to have a super super uh, technical definition that that uh, is is outside of our normal use of what that knowledge is. But that's what he's going to say that this type of knowledge, open theist claim, exists, which maybe some, maybe some, but most open theists don't think that the futures has propositional truth values that are set against those propositions. It's a different type of knowledge that we're talking about. It's, and it's bad to conflate terms. Um, but they say it more globally. So uh, an open theist would say, you know, God has determined certain specific things, whereas um, Calvinists often say that, well, God has determined everything, and that's why he knows the whole future is because um, uh, he set it or uh, fixed it in the way that he wanted it to be. And that's the basis of his knowledge. So I guess from your standpoint, um, what are some of your reservations about open theism, if you have reservations about open theism, and what is your understanding of the 
way in which God knows the future or the basis on which God knows the future? Very good questions. I, I'm kind of annoyed by this guy's camera. It's it's like cutting off his chin. It's like, can you can you tilt it down just a little bit? Like center frame your head, guy. Um, so a little criticism. So my main reservation about open theism is that the Bible doesn't teach it. And of course, <laughs> specifically, the Bible does teach that the future is known to God. God actually... <laughs> Where? uses that as his knowledge of the future as one of the proofs of his deity. So a, a, a god who doesn't know the future isn't uh, the god of the Bible. Idol Killer says it's like an old Killjoy cartoon. I don't know what a Killjoy cartoon was. I was talking to like a group of people and there was like this kind of older lady in the group. And I made a joke like the, that the old lady uh, loved F Troop. And then it like turned out that she did love F Troop. And if anyone doesn't know what F Troop is, it was this all old black and white cal Calvary, like uh, Indians and, and Calvary type of t TV shows. That was a comedy. And it was way back when. And she's, she's just going on about all the actors. She's like, oh, this actor grew up in this town. And this, I'm like, what? Are, who, who knows anything about F Troop? And so I, I assume this Killjoy is like something from, from the 1920s. Idol Killer says, I loved F Troop. Idol Killer, how old is he? I think we're dealing with an 80-year-old man. And whether whether that means that we should then say that people who hold to open theism are unsaved or not, um, you know, I'm certainly open to the idea that someone could be very, very confused about who God is and, and have... And just have a you know maybe a misunderstanding about something. I'm open, but if to the that person idea. has you know read the scriptures, seen the, I'm open to the idea that Calvinists are just kind of you know they they have very very low IQ. Is that that's what he's doing here? He's like, I'm open to the idea that these people are just confused and I don't know what's what's he talking about here. I think he's what he's going for is you know you could have this low view of God and still be a Christian. But that's only if you're actually confused. If you actually know what open theism teaches, uh, then you then you're just a downright heretic. Claims of God to know the future and still denies that God knows the future. Then I would have I I wouldn't that wouldn't be someone who I would be comfortable having fellowship with because I would I wouldn't think that that person was part of Christianity. Uh, the I, I obviously neither of us is an open theist, as far as I'm aware. So, so um, neither of us can necessarily say that all, all open theists believe X, Y, and Z. Uh, but I would question the sense in which an open theist would even say that God knows his own future actions, or that God knows his own uh, anything that God will will do in the future. Uh, because I, I think that it's when they're talking about it. So yeah, it's a, it's, it is a huge mistake ever to use the phrase, all open theists believe X, Y, Z. He's correct. And it also appears to be a mistake to, to say that any Calvinist believes X, Y, Z, because everyone will, will deny anything you ascribe to some Calvinists believe. Calvinists will be like, no one believes that. I, you don't know. Any, it's like you can't find a, a proposition that, Someone was going to say, yes, Calvinists affirm that. So it's kind of funny. But at most, they, 
would be stuck saying that God thinks this will happen or God predicts this will happen or God hopes this will happen. I'm going to Google rather than God knows it. And um, I think the reason for that is that I don't think open theism has any uh, any concept that can ground a knowledge of the future. So, uh, in the uh, under the idea, so I googled Kilroy, and it, it looks like that those things that they put on World War II bombs, little doodles. So maybe Idol Killer has more background that I don't know about these uh, kill. Killjoy cartoons, Killroy cartoon from World War II. I don't know anything about that, but I, I do. I do know the little symbol with the guy's nose. But of open theism, there's there's not some way in which God can know the future. He, he can know what he hopes to do. He knows what he thinks he will do, but he can't. Uh, he can't know the future because it's open. It's it's not. There's not yet a uh, thing that he can know. Okay, so what open theist, may, maybe he might have an open theist saying something like that. But again, you're going to be using a very specific definition of knowledge. It's not going to be the same type of knowledge that uh, Abraham, Abraham, when he has his wife, he's going to go to Egypt and he says, I know that you're a beautiful woman. And when, when we go to Egypt, they're going to see you and then they're, they're going to kill me. And so he knew the future. He uses the word to know. This is the word for knowledge, and that just is a common use of that word, how, what that word means. And so open theists are going to say, yes, God can know the future in, in a similar way, and God has access to much more information than, than Abraham. Abraham's able to know the future, how much more so God. God has power at his command. Uh, he has insight. He has wisdom. He has a ton of knowledge that he could command. And so in that way, God, yes, God can know the future. And I think that it's hard for any view of free will that produce, that's, that's intended to suggest that the future isn't determined in some sense runs into that same problem. This guy's talking pretty and I think slowly. That, that ideas maybe, maybe I could of, speed this up. If there's no determined future, then how could how can it be said that God knows it if it's not determined? And if it's, uh, on the other hand, if it's, um, if it is known, how could it be known unless it's also determined that it will happen? Now, of course. So here's something to think about. In Jeremiah 18, God says, I won't do what I thought I was going to do. So God can have knowledge of the future, and that knowledge doesn't have to materialize. And it's not like the Godhead is undone and, oh, God knew something that turned out to be false or something like that. that that's not how it works. God, it, it, It's part of God's character is God's repentance. God changing his mind based on actions of individuals. And that takes primacy, primacy over God's words or God's thoughts always materializing. That's secondary, secondary to responding to human action, responding in kind, God being a God of justice, God being a God of mercy. Of course, the term determined can be a little bit potentially confusing, and I know we're going to talk about that another time. But here. The, the problem is, if, the, if there's an uncertainty or an, uh, an indefiniteness to the future, 
then the indefiniteness could be known. Uh, so as an, you know, to try to give you an analogy, uh, rolling a fair die has a one in six chance of rolling a one, two, and so forth up to six. And if you know that it's a fair die, you can know that the outcome will be between one and six, not more than six, not less than one. And then there's some remote chance that when you roll, the diet will be destroyed, removed from the area before it can finish rolling or land on an edge or a corner. So you have these like, you know, there's other options as well. But generally speaking, you can know that it'll be one of those six options. And you can know that if you roll it a lot of times, based on your understanding of the way physics works, you can understand that on average, it's going to randomly be one through six, uh, one sixth of the time. But as far as what it will be on your next roll, you don't know. That's the whole point of a fair die, is that from your standpoint, it's random, it's, un it's indeterminate. Uh, so if God only knows the possibilities, he only knows what could be, and not just and not what will be, then God doesn't know what will be. Whereas if God knows what will be, treating the future as uncertain or indeterminate is paradox, sort of paradoxical at best. Then there was a related question that we that came up, I, I believe, last time, which was this idea of the kind of paradox of circular circularity, where God is making his plans based on knowing the future, but then his plans at least have some influence on the future, even on open theism, his, his plans have an influence on the future, but based on any foreknowledge view, his plans are the, one of the causes of at least part of the future. So there's this weird thing where somehow he's determining what he will do based on seeing what he'll do. And that doesn't make much sense at all. So <laughs> based on seeing what he will do. Yeah, we, we, we don't actually get that mechanism that he just described, that God sees what he will do in the future. Instead, prophecy, the, the purpose of prophecy is to fail. It's to warn people here and now what God's plans are based on current circumstances, and people have the option to change their plans, change their ways, repent, and turn to God. As we see in Nineveh, he says 40 days you're going to be overthrown. They repent. He sees that they've repented, and he himself repents. And Jonah gets all mad. He says, I know you're a God of repentance. That's why I didn't want to come here. I didn't want to warn these people. I didn't want to give these guys a chance. I want them all dead. But I knew, God, that you're merciful, and you're going to repent. You're going to change your mind. I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to do this. But uh, that's who God is. God is acting in the here and now based on current circumstances. He's processing this data. He has plans for the future. Yeah. And some of those plans are not going to be thwarted. If, if God wants to make Jesus born at, at a certain place at a certain time, that's his prerogative. If he wants to call the apocalypse at a certain place, certain time, those are his prerogatives. He doesn't have to see his future actions in order to know what he is going to do in the future. That's not how these, these things work. Okay, so I guess uh, let me let me start, start here because uh, there was a lot there. So yep. let me start with it. Um, I think the most important question is, uh, I think you brought up was our open theist um, Christian or saved or something like that. And um, we may just have to agree to disagree here. I mean, I, I think of open theist as, as brothers in Christ. Um, oh, that's good, so Dad. When it comes to saying this is a, you know, a heresy or that sort of thing, I mean, I tend to stick with the scriptures very, very carefully. Um, you know, there are certain things that the Bible says you have to believe these things to be saved or you can't believe them um, and be a Christian. So like, for example, um, and first John it says, you know, you have to, anyone that denies that Jesus came in the flesh, you know, is, is unsaved, right? So, um, you know, that's that's definitely a heresy because the scripture absolutely declares it, that you can't believe that and be a Christian. 
on the flip side, um, there's many things you're supposed to, you have to believe. You have to uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection and his divinity and those sorts of things. And so those are things that are um, necessary to be believed. And then from there, of course, then it's a matter of mostly about commitment to, uh, to Christ and, and his lordship and submitting to his authority and that sort of thing. And, you know, everyone has sins in their lives. I have sin in my life. Um, that I am constantly seeking forgiveness for. I also have theological errors. Everyone has theological errors. And, you know, we're supposed to continue to, our whole lives um, trying to be more like Christ. And everyone is at some different point in, in that path. Dan, Dan seems like such a nice guy. He seems like such a nice guy. Um, so, you know, in the essentials, um, we're supposed to have unity and um, believe those things that the Bible explicitly says you need to believe these to be saved and you can't believe those things uh, and still be a Christian. So those are those are important. Um, and I'm not saying that open theism is an, an important issue. It is, and especially to me when it gets into the, you know, some of uh, the divine attributes, I mean, that's really important stuff. Um, but no one knows God, you know, <laughs> right, right, right now we see through a glass dimly, then face to face. So, um, you know, to, to, to some extent, um, that's just something that we're all. Yeah, we'll we'll see if Dan's reasonable. I do like that when he's talking, you can see his face facial expressions, and he's very genuine. You you see him accessing like a deep memory. Uh, you see his eyes kind of go up and kind of like look upwards when he's accessing these thoughts. So what, what what does it take? He's thinking it out. You can watch him think this out. What does it take to be a Christian? And he's and he's processing it as as he's talking. So he's he's not just like repeating slogans he's actually giving uh intellectual thought to to the things that he's saying oh uh learning we're supposed to be making progress in our in our sanctification and walk and theology and all those sorts of things so i mean that's probably the most most important thing i guess or at least from my standpoint um i can touch on other things that you said in fact i'd like to but um did you have any uh, further comments on that specific point i do agree that we need to limit it to the essentials it's just and it, it is a difficult judgment call of whether the omniscience of God is a sufficiently essential aspect of uh, of Christianity. But you know, uh, the, the, my current conclusion is that I think that it is sufficiently central that some that it's and it's sufficiently clearly stated in Scripture that I personally wouldn't accept somebody who rejects that God knows the future as a brother. In Christ, I wouldn't have communion with that person if I could, you know, assuming I can avoid it. Oh, uh, you know, perhaps I wouldn't even know, as someone told me. But it's such a big loss to me. Anyway, I would, I would, not, I would purposely not have communion with such a person because I think that it's a, it's not just a serious error, but it is a heresy. However, I don't think that everyone else has to agree with me in order, in order to be a brother. So, in other words, I don't think the identification of open theism as heresy is itself uh, an essential doctrine. So that's why you and I could still, you know, uh, we would still be you know, in the same uh, communion, potentially, if, uh, you know, if everything else uh, were, we're lining up, because I don't view the identification of open theism as heresy as an essential thing. So uh, there are people who do that uh, kind of like meta heresy claiming, like, you know, it's one thing if you don't identify X heresy, you know, it's not, it's not enough to not be a heretic of this particular kind, but if you accept those heretics as Christians, you are a heretic too. And there's a kind of this, uh, I associate with the outside the camp movement, which was a smaller and smaller movement as they kind of uh, find more and more people who are Calvinists who are willing to accept non-Calvinists or 
maybe not completely non-Calvinist, but some kind of Amiraldian as a as a Christian, and then like you know this group just keep narrowing itself down because if you're a Calvinist but you accept our Amiraldians, we're kind of Calvinists as Christians, then they will kick you out too. And then a question, I guess, is if you don't kick out the people who kick out the people who are Amiraldians, is that you know what does that do with you? And so they're pretty much pretty soon this like uh, it's a pretty making sad. everything essential. Yeah, salvation inception. I, I think it's pretty funny that a lot of people are like, you you have to believe these certain doctrines to be saved, and also in addition to that, you have to believe that those certain doctrine doctrines are the salvific doctrines and nothing else. And so it's like you have to uh, you have to not only believe those certain things, you have to believe that those things. Uh, it keeps going down the rabbit hole. But they are they are correct in this. I don't know what they're doing here. We're at like 17 minutes and we haven't gotten very far. Yeah. It just runs into a into a wall. So yeah. anyway, yeah, I think that wraps up that point unless there's something else you wanted to say about it. Okay, thanks. Okay, we can move to the next. So okay, so now one topic you brought up, which I'd like to potentially table for a future episode, is the whole idea of how God's foreknowledge works with His providence. Um, so it is somewhat of a grandfather paradox, like you said, on what I call simple foreknowledge. When you get into middle knowledge, it's um, it's quite different because there God knows what somebody would do. And that does seem quite providentially useful. Um, but that comes with its own questions, um, which we can ask uh, for a different. Yeah. When you start talking about paradoxes, that's when your red flag should start uh, shooting up. It's like, oh. You believe something that's mutually exclusive Two two propositions that are mutually exclusive of each other. And uh, they, they'll usually call it something like uh, antinomy or, or a paradox or they'll appeal. It's like, oh, God's ways are higher than ours. Therefore, these contradictory things that I, I claim are in the Bible uh, just are in the Bible. And don't question them. I'm not going to debate these things. Those things just are in the Bible. But they work together. There's some sort of paradox that's re resolved somewhere because God could just resolve paradoxes. Okay, so maybe the point I'd like to focus in on is, the, I think there's probably two big questions here. One is the question of, well, how does God uh, know the future? And then the second question would be, if he does, then does that mean that it's not free in a libertarian sense? And that's that's plenty <laughs> to go on for an episode. So let's start with the question of how God knows the future. Yeah. Um, and I want to see if I can clarify. So my own position is I don't know <laughs> how God knows the future. And in some sense, I would just say because he's God. Um, and I would add to that, or I want to ask you a question to clarify. So is your view that um, Calvinism has an explanatory advantage that Arminianism, let's say, does not have because it has a model of how God knows the future? Or do you take it one step further and say it is impossible that God know the future unless he determines it? Oh, so so here's the whole podcast is how does God know the future? And he just said he doesn't know. He doesn't know. Okay. Um, a classical omniscience. Let's, let's go through the attributes of classical omniscience. Number one, it has to be ungenerated. It, it can't be generated from a different source other than God, because then that makes God subservient to those other things. Those other things have to pre-exist God. God's knowledge has to be independent and ungenerated. Also has to be innate. So it can't be something that God acquires 
from outside himself, from from uh, the secondary so- sources, the ther- uh, tertiary sources, anything like that, has to come from within God, or else God's not omniscient. It would be a gained knowledge, a knowledge that's dependent on a creation outside of himself. It has to be non-discursive. And so if God has thought patterns, if God, God thinks about things and processes information, all that is open theism. That's a changing knowledge set within God. Remember when Moses uh, is in front of God in Exodus 32 and lists out a list of reasons why God should not destroy Israel. If God takes that, that information and processes it and considers it and then makes decisions based on this outside knowledge, open theism is true. God's knowledge changes. Some open theists don't like this. I, I was I was attacked in the God is Open Facebook page by, by certain individuals when I said that Moses changed God's mind. Because what does that suggest to some open theists? That God does not have all propositional knowledge at the forefront of his mind in the present. That God's knowledge is, is, is scattered, not scattered necessarily, but God God has priority of knowledge. Some things could be put in the back of his mind, like uh, when God says he's going to remember your sins no more. It does seem like that God can do that, that God doesn't have to have all knowledge at the forefront of his mind at all times. People are remembered to God, and God remembered Noah during the flood. God's mind is described as working like this, something that we're very familiar with. It's not this It's not this uh, innate knowledge that... Uh, that is really needed for classical omniscience. And so uh, what else do we need? We need it to be eternal. Uh, Again, it can't be generated. It has to include all propositions. It can't be changing as new propositions come into existence. That means God's learning. That would violate uh, what they mean by omniscience. And And it has to include all propositions. And those propositions can't be falsifiable. Like I can know the future. Yeah, uh, Abraham says that I know that you're a beautiful woman. If I go to Egypt, they're going to kill me and then marry you. And so then they take per- precautions. What he knows does not occur. It, it's falsified. Uh, uh, Abraham knows something that does not happen. And that's the normal usage of the word knowledge. Conditions changed. And so your knowledge kind of changes. You, you, you know things that don't materialize. So God's knowledge can't be like that. God can't know propositions which are false or which turn out to be false in this view, because then, of course, God is learning. God is changing his knowledge set. And so Dan Chapa, in preparation for maybe his debate on open theism, probably should do a little research on classical theism because... Because that, that's the crux of the debate. Does God learn? If God learns, if God thinks, if God God processes information, if God gains information from outside of himself, any, any single one of these things on its own means open theism is true. Because those are two slightly different claims. Like One is basically there's some contradiction in saying that God knows future free acts uh, in a libertarian sense. And then the other claim is a more modest claim, which is, um, it, Calvinism is in a better um, situ- situation overall because it has a, a, a clear answer, whereas Arminianism does not. Does that distinction make any sense? And um, if so, do you have any thoughts on your thoughts on <laughs> which you're, which you're uh, claiming at this point? What I'm saying, I, I would say that the explanatory power aspect is really secondary. So 
What are you saying? There are many things that have you know explanatory power or explanatory use or something like that. Not that doesn't establish the truth of the matter simply because something is an easier explanation or a simpler explanation. That doesn't mean it's right or true. Okay. It's yes. one of the one of the weaknesses of kind of converting speculation into dogma is you know saying well if this is true then that would explain x y and z and there's no other real alternative that provides a nice easy explanation of those things uh, i get you, as long as you i suppose as long as someone is willing to say uh, and i'm just holding this as tenuous not holding it as a, as a dogma not holding it as though it's the truth but just kind of tenuously holding out my theory then i suppose that's fine and i'll give you an example where i think that type of way of looking at things works and that might be for example there's, I think, two different passages that talk about the cursing of the fig tree, and one of them appears to be taking place right before Jesus drives people out of the temple, and one appears to be right after Jesus drives them, people out of the temple. And whether your theory is that one of, although they both seem to be chronological, and it seems to have the, one, one has a different order than the other, that one of them isn't chronological, and that's just a misinterpretation, and therefore one of them just is in the reverse chronological order, or whether one says, it's quite possible Jesus just cursed the fig tree twice. Uh, those are two different explanations. And as long as one is willing to say, and I don't, re I, I'm convinced that it's probably, let's say, the first or the second explanation, uh, but I'm not saying that I know this for sure, then I don't have a big problem with someone holding to that idea. The same way when um, I think it's in, I want to say in Hebrews, there's some reference to. So the problem with what he's saying here is he's saying there might be multiple ways of getting uh, to to this omniscience, how God knows what he knows. The problem is, is that there's really only two options. Open theism uh, covers everything except for closed theism. Closed theism, for reasons we've already described, demands that God's uh, knowledge is ungenerated, non-discursive, it's eternal and unfalsifiable and innate and covering all propositions, past, present, and future. Any other option, anything, uh, any one of those attributes goes down, then God is learning. God's knowledge set is changing. Open theism is true. And so there's not like a, there's not like a third option because open theism covers everything except for this settled knowledge, which their systems demand. I don't think, I don't believe that they've researched their own position on this topic, um, any systematic theology they could probably pick up, and it'll talk about these things. It'll, it'll talk about uh, non-discursive knowledge, that God God can't have thoughts, sequential thoughts that play out in his mind, where he goes through possibilities and probabilities and thinks through events to come to conclusions, because God's knowledge set is changing. The, the, this is in, in direct defiance of the omniscience that they want. Cool. Uh I think it's Abraham worshiping, leaning on the top, or maybe it's uh, Jacob worshiping, leaning on the top of his staff. Or Idol Killer says he has to go. F Troop is on, on the tip of, on the corner of his bed, or something like that. And the, uh, I think it was like John Gill who tried to harmonize us by saying, well, he could have been sitting on his bed and leaning on his staff, and that could be the reconciliation between the two. Whereas other people would say the difference is between a uh, one Hebrew letter and a different Hebrew letter that has a very similar shape, and it might just be a transcription error in the text that we have. And again, if someone wants to say that it's a transcription error and they're not, or they think it's a transcription error, or if someone wants to say that they think it should be resolved as both things are true, I mean, I, there's certainly one that I weigh as stronger argument than the other, but as long as someone's just holding to it as, here's my theory, and then as, as a theory, okay. Now, with regard to God's knowledge 
of the future. I don't. I do think that it has more explanatory power than, let's say, an interpretation like open theists, the theoretical interpretation of them as saying something like, "Well, God's just like predicting this will happen, or He's expecting it, or this is He's just saying what His plan is." I think. Uh, I think that 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 type of ex, it's not just that it has more explanatory power than that. We got examples of that in the Bible. God says, "I know. I ha- I know the plans I have towards you," right? And God says, I expected good grapes, but I got wild grapes. And so we actually have Bible verses, God saying the things that he's kind of condemning. And so these these explanations that open theists give, they do have examples in the Bible. So, yes, uh, they are valid. And those examples need to be addressed. And you have to say not only why the open theist is wrong for using them, but why the open theist is wrong for using them. And the biblical authors uh, are are somehow they're they're free of the taint that the open theist has, but the truth is that all these biblical authors are open theists, and so it, it's this it's this this complete double standard explanation. I think that explanation just does is so falls so short that it, it doesn't deserve to be on the field. Where I think we're we're talking about something that has a little bit it's harder to exclude. Yeah, the Bible says I expected good grapes and I got wild grapes, and they say this explanation can't even be on the field. That's the level of discourse that we're we're gaining here. Is the idea that God just simply has knowledge of the future, and and we have no idea how. That's harder to um, that's harder to address because it's not much of a claim of knowledge. In other words, it's just a claim of knowledge that's actually in agreement with Calvinism that God has a knowledge of the future, but it doesn't. Uh, since there's no explanation as to how that happens, there's just there's nothing really with which to disagree except for the idea that we could know the knowability of it. The idea that it could be knowable, however, does come from Scripture. In other words, there's God frequently talks about having plans for the future. God yeah. talks about um, things being according to uh, being according to His plan. Things like the crucifixion yeah. of Christ. So the God idea has that plans. God. Uh, that he has, one of the key verses would be known unto God are all his works in the beginning of the world. That's from Acts 15 and verse 18. Oh, this this is beautiful. And of course, although it says all his works, I do think it probably in context would need to think about it in terms of his works related to salvation and perhaps even maybe limited to Jesus' earthly ministry in this point. But nevertheless, there are, that, that general principle that's being announced there does seem to be applicable as well to God, all of all of God's at works, not just the ones that, that relate specifically to the incarnation and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so watch this. They are quoting Acts, uh, what is it, Acts 3.17. I don't know, I'll have to pull that up exactly, but it, there's a textual issue that goes on that neither of them are aware of that exists in the text. And so let, let, let's go pull that up and uh, we'll kind of let them talk and then we'll see their confusion over what's going on here. Because they include verse 17, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, says the Lord, who does all these things, known unto God are all his works in the beginning of the world. So if that's the case, then we're talking about not just the incarnation itself, but we're actually talking about the, uh, we're talking about everything, all, all everything that pertains to salvation at least. So with that in mind, there's a much stronger claim that needs to be addressed all right yeah acts 15 18 and uh, what we see here on the screen is is our friend dan 
he, he got confused when uh tur tur uh turretine fan turretine fan i don't know i still don't know what a turretine is or maybe it's like a tarantino quinn tarantino i probably am just making that up but he read acts 15 18 but he's reading from translations that are based off of the majority text or the byzantine text and so there's there's different versions of this verse and dan chapa he pulls up all these different translations in english and he's he's just going to kind of scroll through them to try to see which translations say the things that a Turretine fan actually claims of this verse let's try to scroll through them uh, claim that's being made by god that he does know all his things all the things he does and yeah look at this uh c e v translation i promised it long ago known from eternity from the darby and uh, known from old is esv i think esv actually has a pretty decent translation because it makes sense in context the king james and the new king james or anything based on the byzantine text will have that longer longer verse let's pull up the new king james real quick it says known to god from eternity are all his works so let's kind of read the context because even though it, we can't just say that, oh, let's ignore this translation, this version, the majority text, and go to the critical text, and that's that's the one we accept. And we, we also do have to explore what could possibly be the meaning in the minds of the majority writers. And so we're looking at 1515, and with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it's written. After this, I will return, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. Uh, and it talks about more things God's going to do. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Yeah, that that could be, yeah, yeah in, in the technical sense, turn, uh, Turton fan might be correct. It may, in fact, be talking about God knows every single act that he will ever do uh, from eternity or from ages ago or from before the beginning of the world. That is a possible reading. I don't think it's the best reading because I don't think that any of these people are thinking in these categories. Instead, it's probably limited to the context. Like, for example, um, <laughs> what the, the author of Luke says uh, to the Christians, he says, you knew all things perfectly from the first, from the beginning. What does that mean? Did that they knew all things, like every single event that would ever happen in history? No, nothing like that. When Paul says that uh, the Jews foreknew him, uh, pro prognosco they foreknew him uh, from the beginning he's not talking about from the beginning of time he's not talking about this knowledge that's that's ungenerated and and non-discursive and unfalsifiable what he's saying is you guys just knew me in the past sometime um and it doesn't mean all things necessary so not 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 often do we get that all things means all things and often when we we find these verses with with these almost omniscience claims uh, when the, when they're used of humans, it's it's just contextual. It's talking about immediate things in context, and so in in this context, it's talking about the ministry to the Gentiles. And this says, "Known to God from eternity are all His works." Uh, God plans to bring the Gentiles in, and this is probably what the majority writers are thinking when they transcribe this verse from copy to copy. The ESV is probably more correct contextually; it makes more sense. That uh, he sa it says, and the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. God tells us what he's going to do before he does it. This is the story of the Bible. That's the story of Isaiah 40 through 48. God says what he's going to do. 
and then God does it. When God's going to do a new thing, he tells people about that new thing, and then he does that new thing. It's not this eternal decree into the nothingness, anything like that. God tells people the things that he's going to do. And I think that's reiterating this very common biblical point that we see throughout history. And I don't think that the New King James or the King James is, is saying something materially different. You could read it that way, but it's probably not what's going on there. The Sorry, I'm just getting a little bit distracted by seeing everything scrolling past. I'm trying to watch, sort of watch one thing on one screen and seeing the other screen. Scroll. Yeah, there's, there's certainly translation differences on that text, but I, I think... Uh, I, I think I can extract out to your general point. So can you keep carry on. Yeah, I was just I was just, just very curious when I when the ESV translation did not say that. The, yeah, if exactly what you were saying. If if your material point that you're staking all your claims on is like only in like one translation, it's probably probably not not a good not a good point. And the other thing you got to understand is Greek and Hebrew. Hebrew especially is very there's there's a lot of play that can happen with these words. And so, um, for example, the Matt Slick debate, where he's talking about uh, God controls outcomes. And uh, the NIV, uh, I think I quoted that. Oh, I'm going to have to pull up this exact example at, at some point. But, you know, there, there's alternative other translations. And when I asked Matt Slick what was wrong, why is his translation correct and the NIV translation incorrect, he didn't have an answer for, for us. He, he just needed a proof text. And there was a certain version that said his proof text in the way he wanted it. And it was just a blanket denial of any other way of reading that verse. It's it's probably not a good proof text if there's legitimate other ways to understand that verse. It doesn't prove anything. It's just a talking point text at that point. Um, okay. But that's fine. That's fine. So, so anyhow, the... Uh, in terms of the logic of things, it's certainly there's a certain it's certainly very easy to understand that if God has decided in advance everything that will happen, then he knows what will happen based on that decision of what will happen. And that's the explanation that's typically given by reformed philosophers going back at least to the time of Francis Turton, where he you know explains that God's knowledge is either his natural knowledge or his free knowledge. The natural knowledge would be the his knowledge of uh, of things in their nature, so that uh, the idea is you know, this is not the idea of things that Uh oh, no sound. I, I muted myself again. Ah, 
But Proverbs 16.4 is what we were talking about before. So Proverbs 16.4 is uh, the verse that Matt Slick used, and he used like the King James or New King James. The Lord had made all things for himself, even the wicked for the day of evil. And I pointed out to him, well, there's other versions. The NIV translates that same verse because the Hebrew and the Greek texts are are historically very, very pliable texts. You know, they're, they're, there's different meanings that you could tease out, uh, different different ways of translating the exact same verse. And so the NIV does with this verse, it says, the Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for the day of disaster. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for the day of disaster. And that seems like this is in the book of Proverbs. And the Proverbs is giving people practical living tips. And so uh, that, that makes a lot more sense for the meaning of that Proverbs. It doesn't make too much sense what Matt Slick was trying to use that verse for, that God just makes wicked people to destroy them as if that's useful knowledge to the people reading. Uh, no, but it does illustrate the point that if you have a proof text uh, there, there can't be like other rend renditions of that proof text that don't say your point that says an, an alternative point that that, that uh, undermines what you're trying to get at. It's not a proof text at that point. It's just a talking point. We don't want talking points. We want proof text. And proof texts are really determined by context. The context has to reinforce the meaning that you want in that proof text, or the meaning that you're, you're arguing for in that proof text. And there can't be an alternative legitimate other reading. Or else it doesn't actually prove what you're trying to prove. Uh, that he would create, but instead things like that a triangle is three-sided uh, or that a bachelor is an unmarried person, definitions, things like that. Things that just are, uh, that are the way that they are. And, uh, and God's knowledge of, his knowledge of everything else is free knowledge because everything else is the way it is because God has decided that it will be that way. And God, uh, and then there's, there's you, you can talk about the area of what God could do and that's all that would follow as well within the nature of God, because that's God knowing himself. He knows because he knows himself, he knows what he could make. And that would include the things that he could make in terms of human beings, free creatures, in terms of inanimate objects, and so on and so forth. So there's a, there's this uh, there's two areas of knowledge. It's just an analytical division, but uh, the idea is that God knows everything that happens because he has decided that that's what will happen. And uh, uh, we're, we're taking bets now. Uh, how, how likely is it that we get an answer to the question, how does God know the future in, in, this, in this discussion? How likely it is that, that they're going to answer the, their own topic of their own video? I think, it's, I, think, I think the odds are dropping as we're going through this video. The odds, of dropping, the odds are dropping that they're actually going to answer the question, the subject of their video. And there, there's a nice, uh, basically, there's a nice, understandable way in which that comes. And th then we have like the flip side is when it comes to competing. If someone wants to come up with a competing understanding, as opposed to just a pure skepticism of we just don't know. But if someone wants to come up with a competing understanding, I think there's that's where there hasn't there haven't really been any entrance into the the theological field that provide an adequate explanation. But so anyway, go ahead. okay, okay. So I think I I think I have two main points of pushback. So let me start with the first. Um, a verse that I thought might be helpful. I think it's from Romans chapter four. Um, so I'm going to Romans four. Uh, let's see. Um, 
Romans four seventeen. We got a, we got a hundred to one odds that uh, they're going to actually answer their own questions. questions. So Dan already said he so, doesn't know. So the, in Romans four seventeen, this is this in reality James. could have um, been like a five second so video. God quickens the dead, basically resurrects the dead. They could have all both popped on here and said, uh, "How does God know the future?" And Dan could have been like, "I don't know," and then then uh, Turton fan could have been like. I don't know either. Oh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, well, we'll we'll catch you next time. And calls those things which are not as though they were. Right. Um, we do not know how God raises the dead. Um, so it seems that it seems unlikely that we would know how God calls those things which are not as though they were, or in other words, knows the future. And let me put it a different way. Um, in scripture, it, foreknowledge is giving as a proof of divinity. I think it's in John 13. Jesus tells the future and says, when you, have, when you see this, you'll know that I am he. Um, but it's really, literally, you will know that I am. And um, in essence, he's claiming to be divinity and it, claiming to be God. And the evidence is, when my um, prophecy comes out as true, you'll know that I'm God. And so foreknowledge is proof of divinity. So the other things that are proof of divinity, you know, creating the world out of nothing, how did God do it? I don't know. I mean, how did he turn water into wine? I don't know. How did he, how does he raise the dead? I don't know. Um, well, the same should. So remember in the Bible that uh, sometimes the false prophets have foreknowledge as well. And so there is a, there is a verse in the Bible where it says, uh, "Don't believe these these false prophets when they say things that come up about. Ignore them at that time. God is testing you to see if you're going to follow Him or or not." So, uh, yes, it, it it could have been a test of divinity in the case of Jesus. Probably not a reference to to Exodus three fourteen. Probably a reference to the I am type statements in Isaiah. And so it's not like a deity essence or anything like that, or or any uh, any I am that I am being some sort of pure essence that people like to make it out. But uh, but yeah, uh, prophets know the future, and and being able to say things that are going to happen that God's going to do what was a sign that you're affiliated with God. Prophets do did it all the time, and the false prophets when they were able to do it, it was attributed to God's power, but. But it was attributed to God's power in the sense that God's testing Israel to see if those people, because God's uh, gaining information, he's testing to know people's hearts and, and how they're going to act. He's testing them to see if they're going to follow those false prophets or not. Follow for how God knows the future. Um, so I guess uh, thoughts on that, on that specific point of um, if it's proof of divinity, it doesn't seem like it's something that we should expect to know. In this particular case, we know how God gave life to the dead, which is he gave him a son. Uh, it wasn't the way that Sarah originally thought he God would do it, but it, it's nevertheless what the way that God did it was restoring Sarah's childbearing abilities and having Adam or Adam having Abraham. How did God do that? A baby with her. There's a. I'm not saying that we can know. Uh, ultimately, I'm not saying either that we can fully explain every detail, nor that we uh, know that we can fully explain every detail of God knowing the future. 
but because there's you know when i tell you that it's because god um because god decided what will be and god will all right so deuteronomy 13 2 it says and if a sign or wonder it's okay we'll start at 13 1 if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and he gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you saying let's go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the lord your god is testing you to know whether you love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and uh, so forth. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him. So sometimes false prophets get it right as well. And so <laughs> so Jesus Jesus is not making a claim to some sort of uh, you know omniscience of all future events and it's not even a really good good uh, test to see Jesus's affiliation. It it kind of works in the context because his his followers know Jesus's character, and they're trying to see if he's affiliated with the divine, and he's he's writing uh, he's he's leading them down a path of moral reformation, down the right way, saying let's follow Yahweh, and so in that sense, yeah, it, it's it probably is, but it's it's not trying to prove, it's it's proving affiliation, it's not proving some sort of God attribute, God making property, it it is a normal test of a prophet to see if what the prophet says does come true. It's, it's a proof of affiliation. We'll bring it about. And then you say, well, how will God bring it about? Well, that, that's, I mean, it can give you some explanation. I mean, some parts of it are governed by natural law and miracles, right? So there's a natural law and miracles. And now we're right back where we were with God raising people from the dead. So we, we don't actually have to appeal to ignorance. Uh, that's what they're kind of doing here right now. They're like, oh, when God makes things, we don't know how God makes those things. But within the Bible, we just we we actually just read it. Um, God describes the mechanism by which he becomes acquainted with knowledge. That Deuteronomy passage that God is going to test you to know something. Yeah, God is testing to know. That's one of the ways that God acquires knowledge within the Bible. God watches the world to know. That's one of the ways. God does what he says he's going to do. That's another way in Isaiah that God knows the future. God knows because of methodology that's described in the text. It's not a guessing game. We don't have to sit around saying, well, this is very mysterious and, and we could speculate. A we don't have to speculate. It tells us. The Bible tells us how God knows what he knows. It's not guesswork. Uh, so th this is actually pretty funny. And since I'm going to be interacting with this Dan fellow at some point, it, it's going to be interesting to see how he actually interacts with these texts that describes God's knowledge, how God gains the knowledge that he does gain. Miracles to which there's not a, you know, an easy answer. We can say God, you know, performed a miracle. He set aside the laws of nature. That's an explanation, but beyond that, no, I mean, we're, we don't know how, God exercises his power. And that's partly because we don't have that power ourselves. So, okay. yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I certainly I the claim is not that there's, you know, complete explanatory power, just that there's. Uh, <laughs> How about this? God knows because God sees Hebrews 4.13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, of him to whom we must give account. God knows because God does. Isaiah 46.10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish my purpose. How about God knows because God predicts? Psalms 139.1. 1. 
to the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me, even before a word, I'm skipping forward, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. God searches to know, and God can use that knowledge to predict. God knows because God tests, Deuteronomy 2, 8, or 8, 2. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. It's not guesswork. The Bible tells us how God knows what he knows. We don't have to sit around theorizing. Oh, man, it, it's it's uh, oh, it's so hard to know these things. It's, it's so mysterious. <laughs> it, it's so mysterious. Uh, if, if only we knew. Oh, wow. Our eyes would be open. Uh, we would be so smart. And uh, uh, maybe, maybe it's too much for us. We, we can never know how God knows the things he knows. It's not like the Bible tells us. Yeah. Yes. So, and, and also not that we have a complete or full knowledge of God, because I, that's also not, not the claim. Okay. So I guess let me, um, let me, let me start into my second point then at this point. So let's, let's say this. So here's a pair of scissors, as you can see, hopefully. What is he right. doing with scissors? That's okay. Oh, He's got uh, no oh, hair. Well, anyway, I just so see the screen, but it's okay. I hear the click, click, click of the scissors. Uh, okay, I'm holding up some scissors. So, anyway, I wonder the what the program is, they're um, using. God's being omniscient means that there cannot be any gap between the scissors existing or being available to know, and then God knows it. There can't be like a moment of time when the scissors exist and God doesn't know it for sure. Um, but I also think from an explanatory standpoint, in terms of how God knows it, there's no intermediate step of how God knows the scissors. It's just there's the scissors, yes. and then there's God's knowledge of the scissors, and that's kind of immediate. Okay, yes. Okay, so so watch, watch what he's doing there. He He's describing a type of knowledge that's like innate and ungenerated, that, that the knowledge just, it's instantly in God's mind. If there's a proposition, God has direct access to that proposition. It's not immediated knowledge. And so immediated knowledge would be like God watching the world. If God is watching and gaining information through sight, that, that's a mediated aspect. And he, he right here is taking the classical position that there's no mediation between God and the knowledge that exists. It's just innate in God direct access instantaneous there there there's no there's no filter um that's just not not the view that we get in the bible though is is the problem and that i think is built into the in, into omniscience itself um that god's knowledge yes classical is immediate. omniscience now there might be reasons as to why these are scissors rather than i don't know a stapler or you know i guess a, some other piece of plastic or something like that there might be reasons as to why it, it is what it is um, but those aren't explanation of how God knows that they're scissors. They're explanation of why they're scissors and not something else. And the fact that they are scissors means that God knows them as scissors. And that's it. So there's no, there, it has to be. Um, so I don't like the idea that there's um, these intermediary steps in, in terms of God's knowledge. Because his yes. knowledge is infinite, which is um, exactly what Psalm says. His understanding is infinite. <laughs> See, no, no, notice the conflation again. Again, in their system. God doesn't have a purpose for understanding. God doesn't have a purpose for being innovative or crafty because all knowledge precludes that. Having all propositional knowledge, past, present, and future 
precludes God needing to process that information to to uh, manipulate that into outcomes, uh, bring those outcomes to pass. And so notice that he takes this attribute, God's craftiness, God's uh, infinite ability to innovate and come to solutions uh, with, with existing problems, and he turns it back to, into omniscience. He can't do anything with the attribute, it, so it, the attribute has to be omniscience. Because there's no use for craftiness. There's no use for cleverness. God cannot be clever. God is not innovative. God is not crafty. God's not practical. God, God doesn't think discursively. And so this attribute, he has to just pretend that it's omniscience when it, when it describes this in the Psalms, that God's understanding is infinite. This is what they do. That's not the picture of God of the Bible. God has knowledge. God has got all knowledge. God knows everything and God can use this knowledge and he could process this and come to solutions that we haven't considered. My favorite example, of course, is John the Baptist and, and, and the Pharisees come to him and he says, don't think that just because you are Jews, uh, that you, you're descended from Abraham, that you're going to escape wrath. God, he could kill all of you guys and still be faithful to his promises from Abraham to Abraham. He, he could still be faithful by raising new children of Abraham from these rocks. Why? Because God's smarter than you. God doesn't have to fulfill things in the way that you think. God can be true to his promises and come up with, with solutions to changing problems that you think are insurmountable. God is smarter than you. That's an open theistic claim. That's not a Calvinistic claim. God can't innovate and come to new conclusions to, uh, mitigate current circumstances to to bypass problems that were unforeseen and to bring his will about despite despite a changing world this is an attribute unique to biblical theism open theism so which I guess, uh, what psalm says god's um it's understanding is infinite actually hang on i will find out uh yeah, the, the other interesting thing is that, that the word for infinite, this is a verse used by James Dolezal in his, a lot, a lot of times James Dolezal will actually reference this verse. Uh, the word used for infinite is the same amount of, uh, the same word infinite for the amount of grain that Joseph collects. Remember, there's going to be a famine in Egypt and then Joseph collects all this grain. He collects an infinite amount of it. And so Dozo really stretches to try to make this, oh, since this word is used, this is an absolute word. It, it needs to be taken in this uh, very special philosophical way. It's just, it's just a normal word. We should just treat it like a normal word. Yeah, God's really smart. God is really clever. God can innovate. God can do things. God can think. God can think. Open theism is true. Um. Oh no. Dead air. Um, this is Psalm 147.5, and it says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is no limit, it is infinite in the King James, infinite in the new NASB. In a great many translations, it just says uh, his understanding is infinite or has no limit. With the with the illustration being in verse four, he tells the number of the stars and calls them all by their names. Yeah, uh, both of those things are discursive. God, God, uh, acting in time, uh, thinking of names and calling them their names, counting. If God counts, open theism is true. So the context, 
the context of their verses undermine the points that they're trying to make. He's he's trying to say that this knowledge is just like inherent to God. Like God has, there's no intermediary, intermediary steps. And so God doesn't count things. Counting is discursive. There's one, there's two, there's like five over here. Add them together. You've got like seven. I like, like in Isaiah where God counts the waters in his hand. Yeah, it's the actual creation. God is counting. God is calculating. This is discursive thought. This is discursive knowledge. This precludes, this precludes classical omniscience. This precludes their idea of God. Their proof texts are proof against their position. Their proof texts are proof of open theism. You just read what's going on. Again, in this verse, they want understanding. They want it to be omniscience because they have no use for God's understanding. They, they can't do anything with it. It doesn't make sense in, in what they're trying to do. So let's go to this uh, Psalms 147.5. We'll take a look how, how this uh, this word is used elsewhere. We'll kind of let them talk in the meantime. Right. Uh, the, okay. I, I, I don't, I'm not sure how you go from the scope of God's knowledge being infinite to the manner of God's knowledge being a particular way out of some other, you know, but... I, it could be, because I will, if it's infinite, there's no gaps. There's no, there can't be any delay. All right. So uh, Exodus 31, 3, I, and I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. Understanding is the word being used here. And so it, it's different than the knowledge. It's not the knowledge. It's something different than that. My mouth shall speak of wisdom and the mediation of my heart shall be of understanding. He said, how about this one? Psalms 78, 72. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. It's skillfulness. The word, words, word, word is about being able to do something practically, practically achieve things. And this, they need, need this to be about omniscience because God can't be practical. God can't do things. There's no room for any delay in, in terms of Something is knowable and God knows it. The fact that it's knowable means that God knows it because otherwise his knowledge isn't infinite. The fact that something is knowable means that God knows it. Uh, it doesn't say how God knows it, though. Oh, well, no, it doesn't say how. I, I guess it, other than you can say through his omniscience, which isn't a, isn't a full explanation, but, um, but his omniscience being infinite knowledge means that it is immediate. There's no... There's no room for a step in between something is knowable and then God knows it. As soon as it's knowable, he knows it. So then yeah, let's let's apply that principle, I suppose, to the future. What makes what makes the future knowable? Interesting. So right. So that, that's where I come back and ask the question which I asked. Are you saying that it is impossible? That the future is knowable. I'm saying that the future is knowable. Okay. Okay. And so, is there a future to know? Is it of not yet? Of, not there's not the, the future is not yet there to be known. So it, right now, today, the future isn't knowable. No, that's not what I said. I said the future is knowable, but the future isn't existent yet. Okay. So, so yeah, just watch Jan Chapa. Uh, he, his thought process and think these things out. He looks like an honest, 
honest individual who's honestly trying to think through these things and and give answers it might not be the most charismatic thing to kind of kind of pause and 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 uh, think through things on the screen and and access your deep memory to kind of you know get things rolling but he does it at, at uh, I do like it he he does seem to be an intelligent individual and a thoughtful individual I agree that the future isn't existing yet but today is the future knowable yes by god, god then god knows and to us interestingly um Interesting. So we could I could go down that that uh, that rabbit hole a little bit, but uh, please please do a little bit at least. A little bit. Okay. Yeah. Jeff writes. Counting has to be discursive, otherwise it's not counting. Yeah. If God counts, open theism is true. If God thinks, open theism is true. If God uh, watches, then open theism is true. If God uh, receives prayer, responds to prayer, open theism is true. If God gains from outside himself or interacts with people, open theism is true. This is this is the, the entire Bible. The entire Bible says open theism is true. People talk to God and God responds. And God says, Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna make you do all these these uh, signs for the people of Israel. You're gonna how about this? You you cook your food with human poop. And then Ezekiel's like, God, that's not kosher. I've never done this. Uh, please, please not. I don't want to do that. And then God says, okay, your, your prayer's answered. Um, let's use cow poop instead. It's like he just, he, he responds to petitions. People change God's mind. God cares about what people want. And he listens to them. He listens to their problem and problems and he he, he he takes them into consideration. A lot of times the Calvinists, they, they want to be like, oh, God doesn't take anyone's well-being under consideration because you know, that would degrade God. Um, he, he's going to be accepting someone else over himself. And it's not like maximizing his glory. But God in the Bible cares about people. God in the Bible cares if we're happy or if we're sad, if we have prosperity, if if we're lonely, if, if we're sad, if we're poor, if we're miserable, if our enemies are surrounding us. He cares about us. That, that That's the story of the Bible. God takes input. From outside himself god is not the highest value in the god hierarchy there are human considerations that sometimes preempt divine considerations so let's do the thought experiment um mm -hmm. so let's say you know i go uh i have a time machine uh -oh. and all right <laughs> and i go back in time right well now i know the future right because i know the things that have happened up to this point okay well uh all right you, okay i didn't realize the rabbit trail involved time machines but okay go ahead <laughs> well i mean so I, I i think what i'd say is like okay well even more simply I, I could say that um okay yesterday i thought you know it will rain today and so that that's the thing about free will um if if free will actually exists then it has to function a little bit like randomness. And so these movies like Groundhog Day, where you could go back in time, then everything's going to go exactly the same way every single time, except for Bill Murray is the one variable that could change things. But but otherwise, everything acts exactly the same. That's going off of uh, what Dan Chapo is describing right here, as if we, we're not free will actors. We, we don't actually have free will. We are input-output robots based on, on all the settings during that day's start. We will 
progress and do the exact same things time after time. And so this is a view of time travel. Time travel, of course, is nonsense, but it's a view that I would also reject. I wouldn't think that given free will, the movie Groundhog's Day would not proceed like it does in that movie. Today, I could say that that belief was false because it did not rain today, right? So in some sense, you know, we can assign a truth or, or false value to our past beliefs based on what actually happens and, and what we now know. Um, so uh, preach the word says Calvinists treat open theism texts like oneness Pentecostals treat deity texts. They both say God is play acting. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with oneness Pentecostals. I'll have to look them up and see what all they believe. Um, does that make sense? There's, there's, I'm distinguishing between two things. One thing is having an educated guess about the future. Like Jesus talks about where, you know, you see red, red at night and you realize that tomorrow, or I forget what it was exactly, but he said, he said, look, you, you guys know the science of the times. You see some, you know, this meteorological formation. Happen. Oh, God, God's going to say that we can know the future. Oh, may, maybe the definition of knowledge is not the one that you guys are using in this conversation. Maybe it's the normal definition of knowledge that's used throughout the Bible that we're familiar with in our, our daily conversations. Maybe that's that's the definition of knowledge we should be using for this conversation rather than this philosophical definition. Happening and you understand what the weather's going to be like the next day based on that. And that that kind of knowledge of the future is it's not knowledge of the future in the strictest sense because it's, it's really just an educated guess. It's, I mean, it's a probably a high probability chance of being right, but it's not quite the same as God, the way the which God knows the future with absolute certainty. But we can also know the future with absolute certainty without a time machine by simply, if God tells us that it will happen, it will happen. It's, it's not necessary for us to do a time machine or make an educated guess. Yeah. We can actually have knowledge of the future, the future that doesn't exist yet, simply because God tells us. Now, that's not how God knows. Yeah, the, the problem with that, though, is that we can't actually have Cartesian certainty on the truths that we know, because everything we experience and understand is mediated through these these third parties, through through sound effects in the air, through sight. And we can't always be dead. We can't put a dead certainty in all those things. And so, for example, <clears throat> the, the prophet Muhammad uh, he claims to have met God, and I think he's just hallucinating. And so let's let's go let's go with the hallucination theory. Um, you you might you might think that you're talking to God. You might be completely convinced in your mind, but it could be a complete fabrication. And so Cartesian certainty, even if God's telling you something, is impossible um, in our lives. But that's neither here or there. This is something I was thinking about the other day. That even if God had this access to propositional knowledge which in their system it demands we do not likewise we couldn't we couldn't have access to these propositions in the same respect that they're, they're describing here because we we can't be sure of anything cartesian certainty we have normal certainty i'm certain of a lot of things i'm certain if i walk up stairs right now and offer my girls candy they'll be all over that they're gonna they, they'll eat it all god they they ate all my oreos today i bought oreos all gone. Oh, they, they didn't last. These kids. We, he doesn't know because someone <laughs> told him. We know that, we could, that would be how we know the future is because God tells us. That's how we know that Christ is coming again. We don't know exactly when, but we know he's coming again. Oh, no. Uh, here, Preach the Word says, One is Pentecostals believe Jesus is God. 
the Father. So anytime Jesus prayed to the Father, he is really praying to himself. All right. Well, that's that's interesting. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure that makes sense. That's uh okay. And we know it, certainly. And it's a certain knowledge right. of the future. One, the future one his Pentecostals are interesting. We know what this God told us. So God, there is a way that God knows the future, even though it doesn't exist yet. But we can rule out that God knows it through perception. Because <laughs> for one thing, God's a <laughs> spirit. Yes, okay, so no, notice notice this uh, category. So they think that spirits can't perceive, can, can't have perception, can't have vision. Are they getting that idea from the Bible? <laughs> um, no, I, I would say no. Um, in the Bible, like spirits have bodies. So Genesis starts out and the spirit of God is hovering over the face of the earth. Jesus appears and he's in spirit and people see like a bodily shape. Paul talks about our resurrection. We're going to be raised with spiritual bodies. Paul's not describing Paul's not describing some sort of categorically different existence in which we can't see or hear anymore because we're spirit or anything like that. We're just going to have spiritual bodies. And, and Paul's idea of spirit seems to boil down to not degrading like the material world degrades, not, not degrading like our material body degrades, like we get old and, and we get cut and bruised and things like that. And it seems to be that Paul's perception is we are going to have bodies, but they're going to be spiritual bodies, which means that they're like eternal bodies, that they're bodies that don't decay. And so that seems to be the actual divide in Paul's mind. But he's he's coming to this this whole issue from a platonic, a platonistic uh, hypostasis view that the spirit realm is uh, completely different and separate than the material realm. And you got the various hypostases and God's at the top of these hypostases and the spirit realm, something else. And yeah, so that those are not biblical categories. And so no, notice the assumptions that he's bringing to the text, which are not found in the text. The, the Bible actually describes God watching the world. Let's just, let's just put that in Google real quick. We'll let them talk in uh, God watching the world. I'll put that in Google. Right. Okay. So let's take our knowledge of the future in that sense. So, Here's where I have, here's where I start to have a difference between our knowledge of the future and God's knowledge of the future. It's okay, so I have read a prophecy, so I've read the book of Revelation, and I, I understand that there's a new earth coming. And then I think about it and I say, How about this? Psalms 139 2. You know, when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Huh. Interesting, interesting. Uh, how about this? Proverbs 5, 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders all his past. Hmm. Hebrews 4, 15. We, we've, we've, uh, no, no, that's, that's something. Else. What, who put this verse here? But uh, Psalms. Oh, how about this? Um, Where's where's the Psalm that he sits in heaven and watches, watches the world? Who puts these verses together? Sometimes they just start grabbing random things. Okay. And this was written by John, but he was inspired by God. He received this revelation from God. I know who God is based on what he's done in my heart and, you know, other things. And I can trust God. So, um, you know, I put those things together and I'm going to conclude that this will happen. Right. And so I've kind of added these pieces together and come up with it. Um, I don't think God's knowledge works that way. I think it's immediate. I think as soon as the future is knowable, he knows it. It's not based on other facts at all it's simply the fact that it is the future that um and so that's what he knows um where i 
uh, have issue with the reformed explanation of he knows the future because he determined it is that it's almost as if God knows his plan for the for the future, as if he wrote it down and like, you know, I have an outlook calendar. So he's he's got it down in his outlook calendar as to what's going to happen for the rest of time. And he knows that he has the power to make it happen. And then it's like a Yeah, Psalms 3313 is what I was thinking of. The Lord looks down from heaven, he sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of all and observes all their deeds. So the Bible just it just describes God watching the world, and we got two people, Arminian and a Calvinist, saying, No, God doesn't watch. That that's categorically incorrect. Uh, we have to reject that. Even that's what the Bible says. Uh, you know, a conclusion of a syllogism. Therefore, that's what will happen. What, if that was the case, his his acquaintance is with himself and his power, and his acquaintance is with his outlook calendar, and not with the future as directly as the future. In fact, there is no future directly available for him to be acquainted with. Um, but if there is, if the future is there to be known, even in a future time, if it's there to be known, then God knows it immediately. And if he doesn't, then his knowledge is not infinite. So I don't like this idea of a discursive. He um, there, deducts or calculates the future based on his plan. He used the word discursive. That's great. That's a great sign. And of course, he he re rejects discursive knowledge. Uh, so oh, this is going to be fantastic. It's gonna it's gonna be glorious interacting with this fella. It's in its power. Um, I want it to be directly linked with the future itself, based on yeah. Every time that the Bible describes how God knows what God does know, it's all discursive. Every single time, there's there's no verse that's like, oh, propositional knowledge is automatically in God's uh, mind. Like, no, it, 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 there's there's nothing that exists. Like They're trying to prove that. This debate is about whether they can show that the Bible teaches these things. Oh, it's so funny. Agortha, Argotha, Agotha states, again, the phrase, I don't like this idea. Yeah, it's just like, oh, if this thing was true, that'd make me so sad. And therefore, this thing is false. <laughs> That, that's how we do science. That's how we do do reading. That's how we do history. If, if it makes us sad, it's not true. On the future of itself. One challenge with that problem is, or one challenge with that way of looking at it is the idea that God, that the future's knowability arises either from nothing or from something outside of God. If the future's knowability arises from God, then, then you just have Calvinism. If it arises from something outside of God, you have a problem of you have a serious problem and if it if it just arises from nothing that's almost as yeah there, there is the third option which is the one that arminians and molinists take that there's like this double coincidence in which god's knowledge is independent and not gained from outside of himself and just it just happens to be that that's the way the world turns out as well so it's it's not knowledge that's dependent on the outside world because that would make his knowledge discursive and and uh, that would add uh, potentiality into the Godhead. That would that would violate omniscience, in which it can't be an acquired omniscience. Instead, God's knowledge is innate, ungenerated, and uh, not from outside Himself. So it just happens to be. It's it's like a double coincidence thing. It just happens to be what also materializes, while not being derived from things outside 
God. That that's 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 literally what Arminians believe. I'm maybe not Dan Chapa. I don't know how much he actually knows about this. As big a problem as the problem of having something aside from God. Well, maybe you need maybe we need to fine tune exactly what you mean outside of God. Argatha has uh, some strong feelings about pronouncing his name. He says, "Pronounce it Argatha." So he's our goth friend. Obviously, there couldn't be a future if it weren't for God in some sense, right? Now, let's say God can empower a person to do X or Y, you know, to one thing or another thing, um, you know, then it would depend on which of those that God has empowered that person to do that he actually will do in the future and actually does at that future moment. Let me, let me um, pause you there for but, a second. But it's, I think you still wouldn't... Mm-hmm. I think you're raising a good point. I just want to pause you there because even if you reduced God's providence to a matter of process, such that at every... Notice also this verse that they still have on the screen, this uh, Psalms 147.5. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. And so what we find in the Hebrew is that a lot of times different very similar phrases will be repeated right after themselves uh trying to reinforce a whole and so more likely more contextually power is being linked to understanding and so power is being linked not not to knowledge not to oh i know propositional truths in the future nothing like that it's 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 about his craftiness his ability to do so he's abundant in power and he has unlimited craftiness, unlimited innovation, unlimited practical skillfulness, unlimited skillfulness in which to use that power. These these are related thoughts. They're not like unrelated. This is not like a systematic theology where it's just like, oh, just listing. <laughs> well, God is uh, he, he's got this height and then uh, he's also angry sometimes. It's not just like listing attributes. These are related and interrelated Hebrew parallelism. A uh, very good book that talks about these things is the book Arguing with God. It's a very dense book, but it it, it does <laughs> incredibly dense book. I thought it would all be about arguing with God, but a lot of it's just like here's what the Hebrew says, and here's how the Hebrews used, and 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 this is what's happening in these verses. Uh, a very dense, but they 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 cover this idea, this parallelism. These similar concepts being repeated after each other. Again, this verse, Psalms 147.5, is not about propositional knowledge. Just not about that. God is crafty. God is innovative. A skill set that's useless, a skill set that is useless in classical theology. And so, of course, it has to be conflated with something else. It has to be changed to something else because they have no use for God's innovation. Very instant. We're on a continuous ongoing basis, if you don't like the idea of time instance. The only reason that time progresses is because God allows it to progress. Still, the fact that God has a choice in the matter, constantly has a choice in the matter, there's never anything preventing God from having a choice in the matter, means that the future, the very existence of the future depends directly from God, even on that view where god's only interaction with time is just giving his stamp of approval let it continue 
Well, I'm obviously not saying that his only interaction with uh, things. But that even if it were only that, I mean, it's more than that. We both agree it's more than but that. If it, but if it were, if if it were, yeah, there's a radical. There's still a radical dependence of the but creature the on the very, creator, the very no ability yeah, of the future I, depends I on God's election at every point. At that point, his election of continue or end or cease existence. So, right. So, but but what? Um, will happen next can depend on the things that God has enabled the creature to do. If, if God, yeah, Bob Argatha, he says that uh, how does he, God, have a choice to stop time if he determined it before creation that he would not? Right. In in classical theism, God is as subject to fate as anyone else. God has no free will. God cannot change the future. So when Jesus is saying, you know, if God wanted to right now, he could send twelve legions of the angels. In classical theism, that is false. God could not do that because um, he knows all propositional truth values of the future, and that is not one of them. God literally cannot do what God knows will not happen. God has no freedom. Jesus is lying. He's, he, if, if classical theism is true, Jesus is lying when he says God could send legions of angels to stop the crucifixion because Jesus wasn't like this fatalist who's like, Oh, the crucifixion must have happened, and it must have happened exactly how it did happen, and it couldn't have happened any other way. And that Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus was not a fatalist. Jesus thought it could be subverted so much so that he argues, not argues, he prays to God. He says, Not your will, or not my will, but yours be done. He says, Not my will. I got a different will than you, God. And uh, my will is, uh, I looked into this dying thing, and I don't want to do it. I, I would rather not die. But, uh, you know, I know this is important to you, God, so please prioritize your will over mine, because I understand that sometimes you prioritize other people's will and do what they want, despite your better judgment. Sometimes that happens, and it happens throughout the Bible. And Jesus knows this. Uh, the other biblical authors know this. Uh, Ezekiel knows this. People who pray to God. Uh, King David knows this. King, Everyone knows it. Everyone knows it in the Bible. Everyone except for modern Christians who, who pray in, in very, very interesting ways. Oh, we pray, and if uh, it's not good or um, it, it, does, it, should, it doesn't really benefit us the way God thinks it should benefit us, it, then God's going to deny that prayer. And it seems to be like a cope mechanism for not having your prayer answered. Oh, why wasn't my prayer answered? Oh, because it didn't align with God's will. You know what? Often in the Bible, God forgoes what he wills in response to prayer because he cares about the things that the, the petitioner actually wants. This is this is the biblical picture. Uh, we're, we're getting maybe a little off subject, but we got got maybe uh, another 17 minutes left in this. It has enabled the creature to do um, two different things. So which of those two different things will, at least in part, be explained by the creature's choice between those two different things? That shouldn't pro that shouldn't create any problem with the explanation, unless you unless somehow it's it's not uh, it's not possible to have both. But even on even like I said even on this idea of uh, and I forget you you had a term for it that you used you said some uh, oh, I think that was the word you, you used before even on a just even if you reduced everything just to concurrence but at least no matter which other view you have except open theism. <laughs> uh, 
and I don't even know, maybe some open theists would hold to some form of concurrence, but they wouldn't be able to say God knows in advance. Otherwise, God, they would say God isn't free or something like that, I suppose. But you know, unless you're going to deny the omnipotence of God, he at least has a role of, of permission in, in all of time. And the only way that the future is knowable as the future is taking so, into account God's own decision about that it will be that way. So, okay, so the topic of permission, I'd like to actually maybe do a, a whole episode on permission because I think it's important. What you're describing there, I think, is crossing over from simple foreknowledge a little bit into middle knowledge because, you know, let's say God is going to permit the, I don't know, um, the um, sale of um, Joseph into slavery or something like that. In that sense, we uh, if it's simple foreknowledge, then we run into the grandfather paradox. But if it's middle knowledge, God knows that he could prevent the brothers from doing that. All right, we're going to skip forward to their next topic. That they, they, they were kind enough to put chapters in here uh, for prevent us foreknowledge, and then also a future contingent. And I think this is in Acts 26, and I could be wrong. It's the, it's the episode with the ship. The most and maybe in Acts 27, when Paul gets shipwrecked. That joke. Ah, yes. <laughs> uh, You're talking about okay. where if, if you do this, uh, okay, so this no one is will be it. saved alive. Acts 27. Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Yeah, very interesting thing about Josephus is Josephus had a shipwreck as well where they, they all had to go swim. And there was like 27 of them that like swam like through the night or something through this storm. And they were picked up by a ship the next day. And I think in that context, he uses like a word of like God's God's control of things because Josephus had a concept where God is has some sort of general control of all the events that happen and it's, it's not necessarily a meticulous calvinist control but it's a general control of events and it's like god's providence that these people swam to safety and were picked up by this ship because josephus was a norm, normal pharisee and this is this is part of the the pharisaic uh tradition that that things are faded they're not like super faded they're, it's not like meticulous fate but Things happen for reasons. God's involved in in the unfolding of world events, and that's Josephus's philosophy. But uh, uh, we're talking about Paul. We'll see what they say. If they say anything, yes. Yeah, so, okay. So, yeah, so in in um, in verse twenty four, it says, "So okay, so Paul is in a ship. He's with other sailors, and a storm is coming. And then, okay, so in, in verse twenty four, it says, "Do not be afraid." Paul, for you must bestand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted to you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God. Okay, that it'll be exactly as I have told you. So he has confidence in what the future is, because God has told him the future. God has granted him all that sail with him. And then in verse is it uh, 31, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers uh, cut the, away the ropes and uh of the sh ship's boat and let it go Th this is an open theist proof text okay so god is taking active steps to uh, preserve everyone alive but people could thwart god and they could just like jump over the ship or something like that uh this this kind of reminds me of paul's trip to jerusalem and there's a prophet that says if you go you're gonna be you're gonna be captured you're gonna be bound and gagged by these jews and uh, that's what's gonna happen and paul says i'm gonna go anyways 
and then he wasn't actually bound and gagged by the Jews. It was like the Romans who who captured him and imprisoned him. So you know, it's you know, a quasi can't came true, and that's how we see prophecy work in the Bible. It's like, well, you're going to be enslaved and sojourners for 400 years. Well, it's like 430 years in Egypt, and it's kind of like 80 years of oppression. But then you have like 40 years of wandering, and it's kind of close enough. So 400 years, yeah, that's kind of like the 430 years that you're that actually happened. Uh, the Babylonian captivity, it's like it's going to be 60 years, and it's it's more like uh, oh, it's, it's going to be 70 years, and it's more like 60 years, and it's like yeah, 60 years is good enough. And it's 70 if you do these really specific calculations that make no sense in, in what the 70 years actually was, was going to be. It's the, they're, they're loose prophecies. They're, they don't have to come true in detail, but in, in principle and thought. The, the heart behind the prophecy is what matters rather than the details. <laughs> Brian Cross writes, it will be exactly as I have been told. Wait, why are you getting out of the ship? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because people... People could thwart God, and God's not going to go out of His way. It's like, okay, now, now I need to build force fields to keep these. I, I, I already said I'm going to save these guys. Now I have to build force fields to keep them on the ship. I'm not doing that. They could, if they jump off, that's on them. That's on them. That, that's actually what's going on here. This is open theism, and none of these guys see it. Ah, oh, our Calvinist guy, he doesn't see it, and our our friend Dan Chapa, he's going to make some sort of Molinist point. So this is a, an example of um, God. God knows the future. You're like, wait, God why are you getting on the ship? The and yet, there's some element of contingency in the future because if it if the men had left the ship, then they would have died. Yeah, there's a contingency God has already in the prophecy that they're all going to. That's make. open theism. Okay. Um, okay. So. I think that's interesting in and of itself because it it is a, a foreknowledge of a future uh, event, and there God can know future contingencies. Um, so I would think this would maybe be a difficult one for um, for open theists to explain or that sort of thing. Now, from your standpoint, what? how would you explain these God's knowledge of contingencies? Um, because at least in some sense, in, on your view, it, it would seem that the future is determined rather than contingent in some sense so how, and we can do an ex, another episode on that if you want to but uh yeah in general how would you explain that the fact that god knows so um, calvinists like to have their cake and eat it too we're not uh we're not that's one of the reasons that i thought that that term determinist is not very helpful as a description of calvinist but here's the interesting thing uh, art, uh what is it uh chapter two section let's see section I think it's section one. Yeah, section uh, chapter two, section one of the Westminster Confession says that God's knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature, so as nothing in is to him contingent or uncertain.
so there's a sense in which nothing is is uncertain or contingent with respect to God. At the same time, chapter three says, uh, this is chapter three. Sec- oh no, I was muted again. But uh, yeah, it's, it is pretty interesting. I was, I was saying that uh, when, you, when you're on air and you're live and you're typing into your search bar, sometimes weird things, like things you've searched priorly, they're going to pop up in your like little search terms. And so a uh, one time, one time I was live and I started typing in YouTube and one of the things that popped up was this weird guy that, that, uh, oh, what was he? I, I searched him out, watched some of his videos once. And his big thing was that ancient Rome didn't exist and, and the middle ages were fabricated and, and, uh, the whole time frame was elongated to fit the Bible. It's like, okay, I guess, I guess that is a view that one can have. It's, takes an incredible amount of faith and and takes a lot of work by the church to fabricate all sorts of gnostic documents to to fill the time frame that are that are incredibly obscure that i guess that is a view to have but maybe i'll I'll have to rewind it and see if there's anything anything that pops up that's juicy maybe maybe like uh stylish stylish uh, fro wig something like that section one uh you got you got a version of it there uh, so if you go to chapter two first. Um, oh, no, we're quoting Westmark. No, this is big, oh. Yeah, oh, next page. Yeah, sorry. Maybe we got to skip going. through that. It's just, it's, I think there's just okay, one so section. Chapter two, um, we're going to read section? Westmark Confessions. Uh, stop, maybe. For how um, long? For seven uh, minutes? Let me make sure that this? I have the right section. Uh, there are multiple sections. The section, it looks like it is section two. So of chapter two. All right. We'll, we'll listen to this. It's a little bit farther down. Maybe. Okay, God hath all life, glory, goodness, uh, blessedness. There you and, go. Uh, write it. Okay. <laughs> Infallible. In his sight, ah, I like that. All things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite. Oh, they, okay, good. Infallible and independent so has nothing. upon the creature. <laughs> independent upon the creature. That's troubling. So as nothing to no that that is that is classical theism that's classical Arminianism as well. So Dan Dan doesn't seem to be aware of this. To him, to him contingent or uncertain. Okay, and yeah, independent, now, the, independent upon the, the nature. Uh, that's troubling. I, I don't that's think it should troubling. be troubling because I think if you I think the grandfather. I don't know if it's really a grandfather paradox, or not but apparent one of the paradoxes of God's knowledge would would arise if it were dependent on the creature. But here's the interesting thing. If you go on to chapter three. Yes. Well, wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, can I ask you sorry. a question? Does God know you? Yes. Does God know you? Does he know you independent, independent of, of you? or independent upon? Something's weird with this audio here. That's what the Westminster Confession of Faith is saying. Independent upon Turret and Fan. So, okay. Yeesh. Okay. Well, let's <laughs> That's keep going. That's a pretty thorough rebuttal, though. Let's continue on to, to, uh, to chapter three <laughs> and <laughs> section one. And here... Yeah, that's that's literally classical theism because if God's knowledge is dependent on outside agents, that means it's not it, it's not this type of knowledge that he was describing earlier, which God has direct access to propositional truths. It, it it creates this intermediator. If uh, God's knowledge is not pure actuality, it has potentiality and it's dependent. Parts of God exist the way they are 
due to how creatures are. It creates dependencies. And so these types of things have to be done away with in, in classical theism. God can't have dependencies. His knowledge can't be based on things outside himself. It has to be ungenerated and innate. And he has to have this direct propositional knowledge. It can't, it can't be through us. It can't be me. Me doing something causes God to be different. God, God's not changing and uh, developing because of me. I'm not controlling God. I'm not feeding into him in the classical view. So it, it does cause a lot of problems for his view. He doesn't seem to be aware of what classical Arminianism does teach on this issue. Here you okay. see that it says, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own free of okay. his own will, freely and unchangeably ordained whatsoever comes to pass. Yet, so as thereby, neither is God the author of sin. Yeah, so a lot of times <laughs> this Westminster confession that Westminster, what, what, uh, this confession that we're reading is... Uh, um, notice how they use language like, oh, God's not the author of sin. And then they describe God doing exactly what we would expect an author to be doing. They say, oh, God doesn't gain or know things because of creatures. And then they use words like sight. Remember Dan Chapa's like, oh, I like that they use the word sight. Well, sight is acquiring. Sight is uh, getting information from outside yourself. So this is not written by very consistent people who are giving a lot of thought to uh, not contradicting themselves. In fact, a lot of a lot of Calvinism is self-contradictory, and they revel in their self-contradictions. Which I'm not sure uh, most Calvinists would agree, but I mean, agree that Calvinism holds this view, but it's specifically here. Nor is violence offered to the will of creatures. Nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. So that's where uh, I don't know if that then resolves the issue, the yeesh that you had before, or it just makes your yeesh more of a head scratcher than it was before. But in any event, that it, it's the having the cake and eating it too. So it's not God's knowledge is not dependent upon us, and yet, right? You describe mutually contradictory things and you say you affirm both of them and so that's one reason why calvinism is false because they hold mutually mutually exclusive propositions to be true that's why molinism also fails they they as well do this their, their whole idea that there there's infallible truth values of all future propositions but things could be otherwise than they are no, they, they really could not. You, you can't use that word. Things could not, could not. It's not that they could. The definition of the word could does not fit something that has no possibility, no path of materializing. It doesn't fit that. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Uh, theology doesn't work that way. Reality doesn't work that way. Uh, there are There is liberty and contingency of second causes, and God's decree doesn't take away that liberty or contingency, it establishes the liberty or contingency. So to apply that to the verse you have in mind, I'm, I'm sure God not only knows I'm sure all these words have uh, meaning the future because he decreed the future and therefore he can communicate it with certainty. But also God's decree is that it would come that it's, it's so funny when you ask Calvinists to define author. <laughs> They're like God's not the author of sin. Okay, well um what would author mean? Can you what what would what would it look like if for someone to author a sin and uh, they don't want to answer that because <laughs> any definition of author they give uh, definitely applies to how they see god in conjunction with sin so it's 
it's it's a non sequitur. It's it's just using language to try to skirt their actual beliefs and trying to just just affirm these falsehoods and uh, create create talking points in the minds of the listeners. But they they don't actually believe the things they're saying. Come about through the free acts of the sailors listening to what Paul said and doing what he said uh, in response to the warning that if they didn't, they would die. Okay, um, so I think I have two issues here. Um, so I think the first, I, th I think we need to probably do a, a separate episode on that point because it, in some sense you're saying it's contingent and in some sense it's not contingent. And I think They're getting a lot of, a lot of episodes queued up. In what sense it's contingent and in what sense it's not. It, I'm sorry, did I, am I... Am I mischaracterizing your view that in some sense it's not contingent? I think the, there's is. some equivocation over what the it is. God's knowledge is not contingent, but the thing that happened is contingent. Okay. Um, let's see. Yeah, so Bob writes, you can't have your cake and eat it too because it's a logical contradiction. Therefore, his statement that Calvinists can just do it demonstrates uh, that demonstrates it stands on a logical fallacy. And so a lot of times, like, yeah, we, we don't know the method where God creates the world. Some, 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 in some sense that God can speak things into existence. We don't know the mechanics, but that's not like a logical fallacy. That's not like saying that, um, God both created the world and, and at the same time, in the same sense, didn't create the world. It's, it's not creating, it's, it's like a lack of knowledge. It's, it's a gap in knowledge rather than, a violation of of uh, ex uh, having a, a violation of basic logical properties in which a equals a and a um, if a is greater than b and b is greater than c then a has to be greater than c you know log logical truths in this world the law of non-contradiction logical truths have to be true that they can't not be true and if you have two propositions that are mutually exclusive, both of them cannot be true at the same time. <laughs> Look at this. He says, I wish the dude on top was cosplaying Voldemort, but just, just, uh, it's just a bad camera. Yeah. So, um, who is the guy who plays Voldemort? That was the guy who played Coriolanus in, in that uh, modern rendition of the Shakespeare play. Very good movie. Uh, one of my sons, his middle name is Coriolinus after after the Roman conqueror who was rejected by Rome because he he fought against democracy and then he went and sided with with Rome's enemies to come back and conquer Rome. Very heroic. And it was the guy. It was the guy who played Voldemort. I'm pretty sure about that. But uh, that would be interesting. Nothing it to is to him contingent. Right. And yet. It happens contingently. He knows it in a way that's not contingent, but it happens in a way that is contingent. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I agree with that point. That. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's what classical Arminianism teaches too. I'm not sure if Dan Chapa gets this. I agree with that point. Um, the, I, so, I'm not sure you do agree with the conclusion, or you wouldn't have accept middle knowledge. But at least. It's just, it's not saying opposite things about the same thing. Right. So, you know, basically one is the future event itself and the other is God's knowledge. So God's knowledge isn't uncertain, even though the event is, God's knowledge isn't contingent, but the event is contingent. Right. Yeah. And yeah, if you wanted to apply it like this, like God, 
knows the future certainty, including the, the certain outcome of random things like the lottery draw. The lottery draw isn't doesn't cease to be random because God knows it, but and, and God knows that it will that you know there will be a random draw and the result will be this. I mean, it's random to us, but it's not random to God. And God's knowledge knows it with certainty. Not He knows it will be one in a million chance that you're going to win the lottery. Yeah. Okay. So that's now. That's, now we get all right. Yeah. So this this is all more of the same. Uh, so we're probably going to cut off here. So um, I think Dan Chapa from this conversation, I think he understands that God's knowledge for his view to be correct it can't be discursive knowledge it can't be knowledge gained from outside sources so so he is he is tracking on those things um and so when i interact with this fella um he we will be on that page and then he's going to be confronted with bible verses that actually describe the things that he's denying to god god watches the world what is it uh, psalms psalms 33 let's pull that back up and read it again Psalms 33, 13, the Lord looks down from heaven, sees all the children of men from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them and observes all their deeds. God watches the world. Watching is discursive. Watching is acquiring information. Watching is learning. And so it, it, this, this is an entire podcast on how does God know the future? And they haven't they they've just theorized together without actually addressing any of the Bible verses that actually describe how God knows the things that God knows. Bob says, at least it's not saying the opposite things about the same thing. Um, God ordained all, all son, but isn't the author all sin. God ordained all sin, but isn't the author of it uh, in, a, in a skeptical thing. Yeah. God authored all sin or God, God predestined, uh, made occur, uh, infallibly decreed all sin, but somehow is not the author. They only do that by, by just claiming that the author really has no definition. And so uh, go, go ask your local Calvinist, pull them aside and say, what does it mean to author sin? So can you give me like a practical example of what it would look like if someone did author sin, how they are the author? What does author even mean? And the Calvinists will they'll have like a heart attack and then they'll run away because uh, they wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> but we're going to have to stop there tonight. And uh, I will have to do a mini-sode on that verse that, that our friend Dan Chiappa really likes, that God's understanding is infinite. Because that that is a complete misunderstanding of what's going on in that verse, trying to ascribe that to omniscience. And, and again... The only reason is because they don't have a use for God's practicality. They don't have a use for God's skillfulness or innovation in classical theism. And so those skill sets have to be conflated with knowledge. But, but it's just not that. God can do things. God can think. God can act. God, God can, God, as John the Baptist says, God, God's smarter than us and could come, come to uh, solutions that we, we never thought of. Anyways, uh, thanks for listening today, and uh, well, God bless. Says uh, Bob says, God bless you, Chris. Uh, when are you and Warren debating again? Well, it's me and Will Duffy. We're debating. I think it's like October 29th. And so my little debate prep says uh, 10:29. Let's go figure out what day that is. Uh, it's a Friday. So in a few weeks, um, it's going to actually be pretty good. Uh, me and Will Will Duffy are doing a lot of uh, a lot of prep. He he's actually uh, 
lot of times I go into debates blind. Uh, it's like I don't research my opponents because, you know, it's usually all the same talking points and, and you're not finding anything new. And it's like, ah, oh, it's kind of a waste of my time. But he he's he gets really detailed. He's like, oh, let's go see what these guys say about whatever. And uh, I don't I don't know how much payoff um, in-depth research is, but it is fun to listen to people and, and see what they have to say about things. And and uh, there's there's dual purpose if if you're recording and, and people are watching and to to uh, yeah put out an episode and see what your debate opponent says about things that is pretty interesting and to get get a good idea of what kind of guy he is. He seems thoughtful. Uh, he he seems intelligent. It seems that he puts a lot of thought into the things he says before he says them, and so those are all good signs for intellectual integrity. So we'll see how that plays out, but uh, we'll we'll stop there. We'll, and uh, if if there's any questions or comments, put that down below or start a thread on the God is Open Facebook page. A lot of fun things going on in the God is Open Facebook page right now. Uh, this poor lady's being harassed by her church for be they they wrote a sermon against her. They wrote a sermon against this lady. This poor lady's getting kicked out of church for the writing sermons against her for being an open theist. These guys are crazy. They're crazy. He's like showing up at her work with books. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah the, uh, fun times being an open theist. All right. I'll see everyone later.